0: Welcome to the OAESP Principal Podcast. This podcast features elementary principals and assistant principals from the great state of Oklahoma. I am Glenn Absher, the Executive Director of the Oklahoma Association of Elementary School Principals, OAESP at COSA. Today on the podcast, we have Ryan Glaze. Ryan is the principal at Jinx East Elementary School, located with the Jinx Pub- Public School District. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the OAESP Principal Podcast. Ryan Glave, welcome to the OAESP Principal Podcast. Thank you for, for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Glenn. It's a pleasure to, to take a little time and talk with you.
0: All right, appreciate it. Uh, Ryan is the principal of Jinx East Elementary, uh, located with the Jinx uh, Public Schools, and uh, I've known uh, Ryan for an, a no- number of years. I can't recall exactly how long, but we've been to lots of conferences and trainings uh, together over the course of our careers, and so uh, just just good to have ha- have you on, on the show. So, Ryan, let's just start off the very first question. Tell our listeners who is Ryan Glaze, and talk a little bit about your path to the principalship?
1: That's, uh, well, who is Ryan Glaze is kind of a loaded question. I guess I could go in lots of directions, <laughs> but I'll, I'll stick to Ryan Glaze, the educator. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting enough, like I, you know, I, I grew up in a family of educators, both my mom and my father, uh, they both were educators. My mom was a second grade teacher and then an elementary school counselor. They're, she's retired now. And my father, he was uh, he was a he was a middle school teacher and coach, and then went on to become an administrator. Eventually, he was administrator of every school site in the Chickasha Public Schools District. Became the superintendent there before he retired. And so, like many young people that grow up watching their parents do work, I, I had made the decision early on that is not what I wanted to do. So, you know, famous last words, I suppose, as I sit here and talk to you as as a school administrator now, but. You know, I knew pretty early on that's not that's not the direction that I wanted to go. Um, But funny enough, and and my goals really were to pursue music. So music is kind of my first love. I am a musician, a singer, vocalist primarily, but play several instruments. And I I thought, man, I, I think I can make a go at becoming a professional musician. Went to college, studied music for a couple of years and um as i was working through that process and, and learning i talked to several you know advisors and people that i worked with in that program and they they asked me several pointed questions they said hey do you, do you want to teach and i said well, no definitely not i don't want to do that That's watching watch my parents doing that it seems like really difficult work and um you know and that really my my response to all the questions they asked if i wanted to conduct or arrange music and all these things and really what i wanted to do was perform i wanted to be a performer So the advice they gave me is, you know, really a a college degree uh, in music doesn't help you to attain that goal. Really what helps you attain that goal is really just to to go and audition for things and perform and make a gig of it. So I took a little time off um, from school and started auditioning for roles and had some success and got to do some performing. But I found out really quickly that that's not a very, uh, it's not a very lucrative business trying to make it as a, as a young musician and honestly just struggled with a lot of questions about what my future might be and so my parents continued they're very as all good educators are they're resilient right and they continue to tug on my shirt and say you know what ryan think about education think about being a teacher it's it's really something that's where, wherever you end up in life there are going to be public schools and it's a profession that you can really feel good about serving your community and serving people and so i begrudgingly said you know what I'm going to go back to I'm going to continue to pursue music but I'm going to go back to um, go back to college and, and change my major and become an education major I remember taking some of my first field experience actually my very first field experience class that I took where I was actually going to be working with students and observing teaching and learning and of course early on in the college of ed programs I tell you you know you're you're observing only you should not be you should not be working with students at this point you should really just be learning from and uh, I remember walking into the the classroom. It was a second grade classroom, and the teacher looked over at me and said, "Hey, you want to do the read aloud today?" And I, you know, I kind of froze up, and I thought, "I'm not supposed to do that, right? I haven't had I haven't had all the pedagogy classes, and my you know my professor said I shouldn't be teaching." And she looked at me like any veteran teacher that's worth their salt would, and just said, "Well, do you know how to read, Brian?" <laughs> and I said, "I do." And she handed me the book, and she said, "You're going to do the read aloud today." And so. I sat down with a group of, uh, I guess it was about, it was a a little over 20 second grade kids, just kind of nervous as I could be, uh, sweating bullets, and I opened up the book, and I have some experience as a performer, and I started reading that story, and that's when it clicked, that was was the first time that I realized that being a teacher is actually pretty similar to being a rock star, you know, there was a group of kids sitting in that room that were just captivated and engaged, and, and really were responding to you know, this moment that I felt like I was a part of, and I thought, maybe this is something I'm interested in. And So that's the that's the moment when I decided that I was going to really dive in headfirst to becoming an educator and haven't looked back since, you know, the anecdote I like to tell about that story is, I may be the only person in the history of um, Oklahoma career pursuit that that decided to become a teacher to make more money. (laughs) <laughs> because, because I was not doing so well as a, as a struggling artist. But yeah, you know that's that's really how I ended up where I was at. And as soon as I started working in education, I knew right away that that you know it's something that I became deeply passionate about as I learned how important the work is working with students, working with families, seeing those those successes and outcomes. And so that's what led me to, to pursue my graduate degree and, and ultimately led me kind of making my pathway into the principalship and, and continuing to study, you know, as I'm pursuing my doctorate now and, and wrapping up that process. So really haven't looked back and just absolutely love the work now. And it's, it's, I would say it's my, it's my new love, right? I still love music, but uh, public education, common education is very, very important to me.
0: Very good. So how long have you been a principal now?
1: So, I have been a principal at East Elementary for nine years. Uh, before that, I was uh, an assistant principal at Jinx Middle School for two years. Um, and then I had a, a little bit of experience as an instructional coach before that. And then I was a classroom teacher for uh, six years. I taught fifth and sixth grade, um, both, or I'm sorry, fourth and fifth grade uh, in more public schools and in Bixby's public schools before I moved to Jinx.
0: All right, very good. And, Ryan, do you still? Play some music? Do you are you in a in a band? <laughs> you got any gigs going on?
1: Yeah, I, so uh, most of my appearances are um, really relate to my work as uh, as a principal. Uh, ironically enough, tomorrow or next week we have, you know, our school has this long tradition of of putting on a project called the Poppy Project, and it's a veterans. Uh, it's really it's it's in recognition of Veterans Day, but it's a week long project. The School bells going off. I apologize. Um, It's a week long project where we really celebrate and work with students, especially in our fourth grade, but it's a school wide where we celebrate our veterans and we have a veterans concert It's the 20th annual home of the brave concert it's a huge community event and I. Lucky enough get to be one of the featured solos for that so it's fun when I get to wear the principal hat and also the performer hat and sing with our kids that's something I really love and then. If anyone's really interested in learning more about Jinx C Elementary, we have a YouTube channel, and occasionally we make uh, parody music videos that that are a pretty big hit. So I've done some performing for school there, uh, making some music videos just to get a laugh and, and get some connection with our families as well. That's awesome.
0: All right. So, Ryan, as you think back in your career, who were some mentors that really poured into you?
1: Yeah, there's been a lot. Uh, I'll keep the list somewhat short, but I'll be honest, one of the first first ones is really my dad. You know, I remember as a young administrator, my dad, as I said, at, at some point is Jim Glaze's name, and he's uh, he's passed away now, but he was a longtime educator, longtime administrator, worked as an administrator in every context in the district where I grew up in Chickasha, and then eventually became the superintendent. And, and I, I watched him kind of grow into that leadership. And when I was young in my leadership and really learning the challenges of the role that I didn't know until I was sitting, you know, sitting in the seat and having to to navigate some of those challenges. He was really a, a great encouragement to me. And I, I think I learned from him, you know, I think his greatest strength as a, as a leader was really his ability to just see himself as a servant to others. And that was something that it, he and I have a very, have very different leadership styles. And I think we have, to be honest, different personalities. And so we approach leadership in different ways, but I've never I've never lost the lessons that I learned from him, just watching him put aside his ego and serve with humility and and really do everything he could to take care of people and make sure that they knew that he was there to support them and to do what he could to make their work better. Um, And then after that, you know, as I, as I started to grow into that role, I'd say, you know, my time in, in more public schools, I developed really close relationships with uh, Robert Romines and, and uh, Jason Perez as well. Both of those, Jason was my first, principal and he knew my aspirations I was working on graduate my, my graduate program at the time and um, spent a lot of time just asking questions you know he was helping me complete those assignments that many of us have done right in, in graduate school and really started to understand um a little bit more about what that looks like working with him and then I, I would say probably the the other one that comes to mind that many people on this podcast are probably going to know is um is is Dr. Keith Allard you know he's a, a treasure in the state of Oklahoma and as I began working with him, and um, you know some of the things that were happening in the Tulsa area where I where I live now, and then as I started working on my doctorate at, at OU, he and I developed a really close relationship, and that was his superpower, right? He he knew how to connect and make people feel um, feel loved and feel appreciated, and he honestly one of my favorite things about Dr. Ballard is one of the things that I learned from him is that he he just poured in confidence in a me. He talked about me as a leader in a way that I didn't always see myself. And he'd say, "Ryan, you're you're going to be a premier superintendent one day. Ryan, you can accomplish these things, Ryan." He he would talk he would tell me these stories that uh, just were so affirming to hear a wonderful leader like him, you know, see that in me. And so he was he was probably um, you know, one of the most recent mentors that really really helped me to kind of shape who I who I or how I see myself as a leader.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Powell was very very good at that.
1: Yes, he was. Yeah, Yes, he was. Um,
0: his grandkids went to my last school. The,
1: oh, wow. Okay. I of that. And uh, of course, I, I, didn't
0: I knew, know that. I knew Dr. Valor, you know, for a long time. In fact, he knows my wife's family really well. And he was superintendent in Uligal when mm-hmm. my uh, wife and her brother were both uh, students there. And, uh, and so he had a, an amazing gift of knowing people and making those connections to people, and he could, he would never forget those things, and um, the first time I saw Dr. Ballard, um, I was at a a political fundraiser in Claremore, Mm -hmm. and he was there, and I I had not met him yet, but I walked up to him, told him who I was, he says, yeah, I know who you are, you're married to uh, dana lester her brother's dustin and he told me what position dustin played on the football team at uh, and told me yeah. some games that he played i mean
1: <laughs> that's that was his i mean that was his superpower honestly it really was so he you know learning and leadership both i think are about relationships and he did it better than just about anyone i've ever known and i, I felt the same way i was like how does this guy know who i am and why does he know these things about me and why does he care about me? Right. And you just found out, and at some point when I first got to know him, I kind of had a, I kind of had a lifted eyebrow, suspicious, like, is this authentic? And as you got to know the man, you found out it absolutely was. I mean, he just loved people and he loved to to form relationships with people and to share with people. And so, yeah, yeah special guy. Yeah.
0: So Ryan, let's talk about your school for a little bit, what, what are some things that you do at your school that shows your staff that they are supported and encouraged?
1: Gosh, that's an important thing for all of us leaders to do right now. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that I try to do, um, and it's it's a little thing, but it means so much to people. I've had so many staff members tell me that this is a meaningful deal, a, a meaningful thing to them. I have a I have a large school. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's about a sixty acre campus or about forty acres of actual building space, and there's seven buildings over fifteen hundred students. Um, you know, a couple of hundred staff members. So it can be a place where you you can kind of feel like you disappear, right? It's a large it's a it's a large school context. A lot of people doing fantastic work, but you know, to be the, the, the person who's um, responsible for all of that, it's important to me to have a personal personal connection with people. And so I do that in the space that I make and the conversations that I have and, and my, my visibility and, and the, just being apparent parent and, and present whenever people you know want to talk to me. But honestly, one of the things that I do that means the most is once a week, I carve out a little bit of time and I try and write anywhere from three to five um, thank you notes or postcards that I'd hand deliver I just place secretly in a teacher's classroom and and I try and I try and really rotate make sure that I'm connecting with each of my staff members and telling them something specific that I really noticed about them that I appreciate and I think the the handwritten note uh, I think the the specific detail that is related there that really I, I've had so many people I've, I've gone into so many classrooms and seen those you know pinned up on a bulletin board or or sitting by the computer or have gotten wonderful feedback from from staff that have received those and just said it meant so much to them and it's such a small lift for me as a leader to to carve out time to just write a a few notes that that really resonate with people uh, in a powerful way and and I think similarly is you know in my communication with staff I try and make space for them to actually do that to each other so I have a weekly newsletter that I send out. It's called site news. It goes out every Wednesday and it's filled with, um, you know, all types of information that's important for, for staff to share families and for staff to to kind of prepare for the weeks ahead and for, you know, things that, that we all have to communicate. But I, I carve out a couple of places in that newsletter that really are about just taking care of ourselves. And one of them is really um, we're, we're a leader in me school at East elementary. And so we teach the seven habits and, in that model there's what's called the eighth habit and the eighth habit is something that arrives when you have really mastered the seven habits the eighth habit is is not something that we talk about as a skill it's really like an identity that arrives when you really mastered the seven habits before and it's called you know finding your voice and helping other people to find theirs and so i try and find examples um, around my campus where someone has done something to use their voice to elevate the needs of a student the needs of our community has done something to find their voice and, and motivate or inspire someone. Sometimes it's students, sometimes it's, it's staff members. And, and I'll highlight that every week. And then probably my favorite thing, because it's so easy, is at the end of that newsletter, we just have a section called Cheers for our Peers. And I ask staff members to share their stories with me. Like, what do you see your colleagues doing that's really fantastic? Um, send me a picture, send me a short story. And that, that gets plugged into that newsletter every week. And, it's, and sometimes I'll have you know seven, eight, 10, examples and I start to think like what how long is this newsletter gonna get if I keep including these but what I found out teachers might skim through some of the, the some of the informations on the bullet points but when they get to that cheers for the peers they're reading it they they love to see their name they love to see the stories that they're telling and and what I love about it is it's not it's it's not me trying to create this thing through authentic stories from all around the campus about you know wonderful work and to be honest some of that work I don't see Uh, unless someone sends that that note to me every week to put in put in the newsletter and so those are a couple of examples and i think another one is really this is a really innovative strategy why i say it's innovative it's not something that i ever thought to do until recently but anytime i have a meeting uh with a particularly with a small group uh like a small group of of staff my leadership team my instructional leadership team counselors whatever that might be the very first thing in our agenda is almost always um just a really informal conversation topic. And I think building relationships with people where you can talk about life outside of school um, really helps us to be grounded and bonded together when we are doing the business of taking care of our students and families. And so there are a few things that I've done that that I think have really made an impact on my campus. Yeah,
0: very good. So Ryan, what makes Jinx East the place to be?
1: Well, it's, it's probably not the principal, I won't say that. But, um, you know, honestly, my favorite thing about this this school community, and it's a surprise to a lot of people that maybe aren't familiar with Jinx East, um, you know, a lot of times you think of G- Jinx as a really affluent and successful suburban community in the Tulsa area, and, and I and I'd certainly, you know, wouldn't disagree with that, but people are really surprised to find out about the diversity that exists in our in our community. Um, you know, my, my campus, like I said, I have over 1500 students and gosh, we have, we have close to 30 languages represented on, on my school campus. And that surprises people. Right. And, and my, uh, I had this really incredible diversity with socioeconomic economic status too, Right. So we we're kind of hovering around, um, depending on the year, you know, we were from 48 to like 63% free introduced run lunch, which. You know I've worked in schools that were 90 you know 90 plus 95 plus pre-introduced lunch and and really kind of places with high mobility what what I say is we, I walk into a classroom here and it's absolutely it's absolutely typical for me to see um, you know eight or nine students that are EL students that are learning English it's it's you've got a student over here who's living in a multi-million dollar home and is accelerated and and, and gifted and really doing wonderful things and you have kids that are coming from extreme poverty and even homelessness in the same classroom. And I think that really stretches, it, it makes it challenging as a teacher because the needs are so diverse sometimes, but it also makes this campus a beautiful school community because it really is a representation of the people that live in this area. And so I I really love that. I think the other thing that makes Jinx East Elementary the place to be is um, we've really embraced this this idea of being a community school. And you know, a com- I think schools everywhere, community schools. So back in 20, 2018, we really took a, a very strategic approach to understanding the needs of our community and trying to, to work with partners to develop programs that were offered right here on the school side that would support those needs. And so, you know, we, we developed, I think over the, since that time, we've developed over 500 community partners. We have adult ESL classes being taught here. We have a little free library. We have clothing support. We have food support. Schools and schools are doing this everywhere. I know that that's not unique, but the way that we've really focused in on that work and and then one of the needs that we identified really through our through our strategic planning and through our uh, needs assessment is that we had a lot of families that didn't have access to extended school year and extended school day programs, and so we made that a focus for us and like to you know. We've, we've got some friends here um, from the State Department visiting today because they wanted to just take a look at some of the after-school program we have. We have 15 um, after-school classes that are operating today, uh, or I guess this semester, that are free of charge for kids. It's based on a lottery program. We serve around 350 to 400 kids with extended school day programs that are really high interest and engaging, and then we do the same thing in the summer. You know, we, we want to make sure that we're taking care of kids with not just credit recovery and remediation and, you know, those types of things, but also just really high, highly engaging, fun uh, learning where they, they really feel excited about, you know, being a part of what's happening in the school at, outside of what would be a normal school day calendar.
0: All right. Very good. So, Ryan, what is one thing you wish that your dad or anybody else would have to told you about school administration before you stepped into that
1: role? you know, I think one of the, one of the things that I, you know, I I can be an idealist sometime. And as I thought about myself as a leader before I really became a leader, um, I thought that I was going to be able to just bat away all those flies (laughs) that really come at you. And I don't think I was fully prepared for how difficult it can be to balance and prioritize the things that, that land on your plate every day. Um, and I saw that maybe indirectly talking to people about, about just the stress that, that comes with the busyness of the job, but I didn't realize how in managing the busyness of the job, you also have to manage, you know, the what's a low impact task and what's a high impact task and what's my best, I, I've heard it described this as what's my best yes right now, right? That sort of idea that, and and the hard part for me is I'm a, you know, I'm a pleaser, I want to really try and take care of everyone's needs and I want to be there to support everybody. And sometimes, to give your very best, yes, you have to you have to say no to something. Um, and that's that was something that I remember early in my career as as a school administrator. I there wasn't a thing that was happening in the school place that I was not both feet in it. You know, just trying to make trying to make the most of it and trying to make sure that I was putting my you know weight and authority and expertise and support behind. And I found out pretty quick that that was really not is really not a sustainable approach to leadership. Um, and so I think that's that's something that I wish I would have. And I and I bet all of those mentors told me that. But I was such an idealist. I thought, oh, that's not that's not the type of person I am. I'm going to be able to put myself in the place where I'm going to make the make the biggest difference. And maybe to, as I'm as I'm listening to myself talk, maybe that that's one of the dilemmas of a, of a leader in a public school is to be honest, the work that's happening all around me is good work, is important work. And so when you have to prioritize where you're going to invest yourself, you you have to say no to some things, but sometimes the things you're saying no to are important. They're things that that really are valuable. And so, um, yeah, that that's maybe the most difficult thing and, and a place that I would have liked to have some learning before I assume the role. Yeah.
0: There's a great book called The Coaching Habit. And in that book, it talks about if you're saying yes to this, then what are you saying no to? Yeah. Not personally, and in my professional life, I'm really good at saying yes a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not so good at saying no. And I'm not so good about taking things off of my plate. And, um, you know, I, I tried to focus, you know, with my teachers, you know, we kept asking them to do more and more looking at some things that we could take off their plate. Um, and it wasn't always easy to try to look at those things.
1: So. It's very, yeah, I, I, I can commiserate with you, Glenn. It's difficult <laughs> because I think every leader who's listening is probably thinking, man, how can I, how can I support teachers? How can I lighten the load? How can I lighten the burden? How can I? And as we engage in that work, it, it becomes difficult to figure out the answer to those questions because so much is asked of, of, public schools, honestly, so many things are asked and, and the things that are being asked are important. They're things that, that really, that our, that our children and our families and our community need. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Ryan, on the flip side of that question there is, um, if you're going to talk to somebody who was aspiring to become an administrator or was in their first year, what would be that one piece of advice that you would want to give them?
1: Well, and I uh, maybe Maybe what I just mentioned, right? To 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 make sure that you're being cognizant of what your very best yes is. But here's what I learned through this. Actually relates to my last answer, Glenn. So I'm glad you asked this question. Um, You know, as I learned that I couldn't say yes to everything, my fear was that there's something else that was happening that was important that wasn't going to be successful because I wasn't in the middle of it. What I learned instead is that when I do that, I empower other people. To really grow up as leaders and and i've and i'm in a place i've been at this campus for nine years and I have. Some fantastic leaders that are around me that have always been around me for that entire time, but in the last four or five years i've seen them just accelerate in their own leadership and and the reason why is because I got out of their way and I gave them, I gave them capacity and I gave them permission and I was able to green light them and say, you know what, you got this. You don't need me to come to this meeting. You let's talk about it. Let's plan, let's pre-plan it. You know, if you really need my support there, I'll be there, but I, I don't think you do. I think you can handle it or, Hey, this event's coming up. Can you take the lead and can you plan it? And now there's kind of a flywheel effect that happens that after a few years of that, Instead of me going to people and say, "Hey, can you help me out with this?" I'm I'm stretched and I need someone else to step up and take the lead. Now I'm seeing what I think is the really the greatest joy of being a leader is I have people coming to me and saying, "Hey, is it okay if I do this?" You know, the ideas are the ideas are initiating from other people's uh, perspectives and other people's you know really experience as leaders, and I just get to say yes to other people doing things and not yes to me being involved it can be a little humbling. You start to feel less important as you see wonderful work going on that you weren't the initiator of, or the, or the part of, but at the same time, it's incredibly energizing to watch people, you know, it's kind of like I described Dr. Ballard. He would, he would tell me these things about myself that I didn't see in myself, which inspired me to want to do, to do more and be more. And I feel like I'm starting to see that happen in my leadership with the people around me. And that's, that's really where the sweet spot is. People love being a classroom teacher because you develop these relationships with kids and you see the outcomes every day of the work that you put in. The same thing can happen as a leader. Um, it, just takes, it just takes a little bit of a paradigm shift and some commitment. Yeah.
0: So Ryan, you've been a member of COSA and OAESP for a number of years, and you've been very active in attending conferences and the different workshops and trainings that, that, that we offer here. Why do you think it's important for people to, to, to belong?
1: You know, I think uh, the and you know the the easy answers is really the the good work that the organization does in bringing together networks um, of edu- of educators and leaders to really support them uh, to foster you know safe places for them to communicate and talk about the challenges they have but also share the successes and learn together. Um, I think absolutely the advocacy that happens in the organization is critical, especially in the you know in the in the in the place that we are right now, the position that we are right now with. Um, you know, policies and legislation, and really just the the public perception of common education um, is something that I think. Gosh, these organizations are are so imperative for that. And to be honest, the quality professional learning opportunities are really some of the best that are available for people in our roles. And and I think maybe lastly, I would say so. I'm I'm as I'm working on you know wrapping up my own doctorate and completing my dissertation. One of the things that I'm studying. In that, are, I guess the primary topic of my study is this idea of isolation and loneliness that exists in the role of a principal. You know, it can feel it's it's a there's a little bit of irony knowing that there are hundreds and hundreds of people doing the same job as me, but I feel like I'm alone every day. Um, and I think, you know, organizations like OAESP and, and COSA really provide, you know, a, I guess a space um that, that we can start to connect with each other and say, you know what, I, I'm not alone. There's someone having the exact same problem. It turns out, you know, someone in someone in Coweta in is also struggling with, you know, the, the burnout of their teachers and, you know, teachers wanting to quiet quit, right, and these things that are kind of happening. And so you go, gosh, I'm not alone, and there's someone else going through this, and you can have some catharsis and, and understanding, but also start to work towards resolutions and, and talk about what we might be able to do as leaders to make that better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very, very good. So, uh, Ryan, as we wrap up this episode, the purpose of the podcast is to elevate the voices of Oklahoma administrators. So I just want to just pass this right back to you and just for your, some, some of your final thoughts.
1: Well, I'm going to take advantage of that. I think, um, you know, I, I here's, here's one of the things that's been on my mind for really a couple of years now, Glenn, and it's, it's that we we're watching I think transformational change happen in public education right now. It's happening in in the narratives that we see in policy, it's happening in the narratives that we see in the accountability era. In fact, one of my personal beliefs is I think that the accountability era is is kind of coming to an end. And and I the the part that's scary to me to me about that. And that's not to say that accountability is going to go away for schools and I don't believe that it should, but I think you know the way that we really understood and equated that in public schools has really really been so contingent on, you know, high stakes testing and proficiency and mastery of these these standards. And there's there's some irony that exists in that and that, you know, there's been empirically um, grounded studies that show really just kind of how difficult it really is to teach the amount of, of content that we're asked to teach in, you know, K through 12. You know there was a tv show a few years ago that you might remember called are you smarter than a fifth grader so maybe we're deemp maybe we're de-emphasizing some of the skills that are really important for adults and and overemphasizing things that really don't matter as much and success as adults but i think the the thing that really bothers me the most is you know, we just had fall fall conferences and i'm walking through the parking lot uh, as i'm visiting a building and i see if i see a parent sitting in the car that i know pretty well and you know, I kind of knock on the window thinking, hey, I'm going to say hi and, and have a quick chat. And and that parents, you know, got tears streaming down their face because they just got done sitting through an IPRI meeting and are and just feeling deflated and defeated. And I see kids hanging their heads and feeling deflated and defeated sometimes because we we really just talk so much about whether they're on level or not not on level. And that's not the narrative that's coming from teachers. That's the narrative that comes from, I think, just the measures of the accountability era. And and so I, I really think that that era is coming to an end soon because it's it's really not working. And maybe there are a lot of things that, that don't work well. And I guess my fear is I don't know what's next, right? I think we see examples of maybe the, the next era in, in education is the privatization era or maybe the next era is, I don't know. I don't know what that might be, but I think what I would say is as educators, we have to invest in that. We have to pour ourselves into the conversations that we hear. That really don't line up with what's happening in schools. We have to put ourselves in a place to really highlight the things that are happening uh, with children and with communities. You know, it goes all the way back to, you know, some of the um, some of the some of the census data and the RAND studies where we've asked, you know, families what they think about public school as a you know as a um, I guess as a global idea, and, and they say, well, they're not public schools aren't doing very well, right? Not very successful, but then you ask how they feel about their school. They're like, "I love my school. like teachers are wonderful and they take great care of my kids and they're so there's there's kind of this there's kind of this coexisting belief that happens and I think as leaders we have to be a voice to to really make sure that we're ushering in whatever whatever the future of common education looks like that it really represents what our communities and our families and our kids need. And then it also celebrates and lifts up the people that are doing the work because it is it is some of, in my belief, and obviously I'm biased, as are you, so I imagine you'll nod your head as I say this, but it really is some of the most meaningful work that, that we can do. Um, there's, as we touch the lives of kids, and we touch the lives of families, and we touch the lives of, of the communities that we work in, you know, I don't think it's always, um, I don't I don't think it's even, Of, I don't even think it's even apparent the way that public schools really shape and, and change communities, and so I think we have a responsibility as, as leaders to do all of that, especially in a principal setting, because we have the ability to touch, you know, the voices of those that are working in the schools and that are attending the schools, but also those that we're partnering with in the community. And so we have this really neat, this neat place where we can reach out and touch both both places. And so that's important to me.
0: Yeah. Very, very well said, Ryan. And so Ryan, thank you for joining the uh OAESP principal podcast. And um and uh hope, hope you, you have a great day.
1: Yeah, thanks, Glenn. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you for listening to the OAESP Principal Podcast. If you're not a member of COSA or OAESP, please join. It is not too late. Go to www.cosa.org and click join to learn more about the benefits of being a member. Some conferences that we have coming up, the COSA Women in School Leadership Conference will be held April 5th and 6th, 2023 in Tulsa. And we'll be releasing more details about that coming soon. Also the OASSP-OMLEA Conference in February 8th and 9th in 2023 at the Edmund Conference Center. Registration is now open. And the COSA Summer Leadership Conference is June 14th to 16th, 2023 at the Oklahoma City Convention Center. We have a great lineup of speakers that we will be releasing soon. Thank you for listening, share this podcast, and as always, go keep doing the great things in our public schools.